Welcome to This Joyful Life. My name is Maya Starin, joy expert and spiritual advisor. On This Joyful Life podcast, you will hear stories of people living in their joy, reclaiming their joy, while doing meaningful work in their communities. In today's episode, I connect with Nicole Thomer, therapist and mental health advocate. Nicole shares her perspective on how to destigmatize mental health, how to recognize signs of needing help, and what we can each do right now to help ourselves. Hi. So I love your work and I know that you um, you provide space for people who are going through hardship. Will you uh, speak to that a bit? Right. So I'm a therapist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I work with individuals and sometimes couples and families um, who are having a difficult time making it through transition. Um, a lot of times what that looks like is that they may be struggling with anxiety depression and they're having a hard time enjoying their life. Mostly when I see people it's because the, the symptoms are um, disrupting their lives to the point where they're just uncomfortable. You know, they're not getting a lot of sleep. You know, they don't feel well. They're not enjoying their lives. Um, they feel really tense or anxious. Um, and so that's a big motivator or um, they're having issues with handling their anger and attacking it on people that they care about, um, and they want to change those patterns. Oh man, yeah, the, <laughs> that's definitely a, a reason to to get in there. Um, so there's obviously like things, like signals that lead up to that. Would you speak to like some of those places so that people don't have to wait until that excruciating point to seek support? A lot of times, if um, if a person's having trouble sleeping, you know, they're seeing changes in their eating patterns, you know, um, they're eating more than they usually eat or they're not eating um, as if they see those type of changes or if they notice they're more irritable, they're snapping on people when they normally wouldn't. Um, or if um, they have trouble getting out of bed, they don't want to go to work, um, those type of issues. Okay, so generally, like, when the problems in a person's life is starting to affect their ability to function, you know, they don't want to go to work um, or they're avoiding people, that they may start working more because they don't want to deal with the people in their lives. They're not around them. Or um, they find themselves not want to go out um, and they stop taking care of themselves. That's a, those are some really um, strong signs that they may need some help dealing with the problems in their lives. How do you think that, um, or maybe why do you think people normalize that? Like, I think when those like signals are still softer, like even um, like from a pers- professional perspective, it's like, okay, like we know where that's headed, but um, for someone who's going through it, maybe they're like, everybody, like nobody wants to go to work. It's mm-hmm. Monday um, or like I'm eating normal. Like how, um, how does that get rationalized? Let me see. You're wondering like how a person may miss those signs. Yeah. Like feel normal. Um, I think that may be different for every person. Um, and I think what I hear a lot from clients is, 
when they start to feel that it's affecting their quality of life, that's when they want to do something about it. They really feel unhappy um, in the place that they are and they're stuck. Um, they, as long as they can kind of feel like they're moving forward, um, they may not turn or seek help or, or feel like they need it. Generally, it's when they feel really stuck and they're not getting moving forward. I know, like, for myself, so, like, in our community, like, uh, it's kind of frowned upon, like, for therapy, like, don't don't go to therapy. Right. How do you think for folks who are raised in cultures that, like, don't have access or tradition around therapy, mm-hmm. like, how can we get them feeling comfortable? You know, I think it's more about just these... Um, taking the stigma away and talking about it more. You know, it's interesting that you asked me that question because know that it happens in our community as well. There are a lot of people, um, they run from therapy like it's the play in the African-American community. Um, So I I found myself thinking about that this morning, like why is it so hard for us to seek help? Um, and, And normalizing it, making people realize that it's just, you don't have to be in therapy um, a lot of times people feel like you you go into therapy because you're crazy. And um, and I really don't like the word crazy, but they feel like if they went in there, people think there's something wrong with them. And making people, not making people, but making bring it to the awareness that it's more about having support. You know, that sometimes that having a person that doesn't know you um, a disinterested third party just to listen to what you have to say is healing in itself. Um, you know, a person, having some person, person see, being able to talk about what it is you need to talk about, having the person validate it and also point out things you may not have seen. You know, therapists, we act as mirrors. You know, we mirror back to the person themselves so that they can see clearly things that may need adjusting. Um, so, and that's all it is. I think a lot of times people feel like people are going to put them on medicine. They may get labeled. They may get put in the hospital, you know, that sort of things. And those fears, talking about them and demything them, um, I think it will go a long way of helping people become more comfortable with it. And also just talking about it. Um, you know, a lot of times when people do go to therapy, they don't, they don't let people know that they were in therapy. So um, they, you know, they feel alone. People don't want to do things that they feel that no one else is doing. And I know that those uh, those fears are historically founded, right? So mm-hmm. they're, um, I definitely believe that that's, that's part of it. And that's part of like bringing awareness to like, um, now there are people who, you know, whatever community you belong to, there are people like you who are practicing mm-hmm. mental health. Um, who you might be able to relate to better. You might be able to trust more. Mm-hmm. Um, I know like for myself, like when I first went to therapy, my, um, my family like struggled with that at first. Um, mm-hmm. now they've totally come around. Um, but at the time it was like, you know, only people with problems go to therapy. Mm-hmm. And to your point, like having like everyone in your life, I believe, you know, for better or worse, like they're doing the best that they can. And if nobody in your community has access or is sharing with you the skills that you need, then, you know, you need somebody like you who has those, who has those skills. 
Right. That's true. Uh, what are some of your favorite skills uh, to share with the people you work with? Um, you know, um, I think my number one favorite, the one that I feel that people get a lot of um, results with is just breathing. Coming back, being aware of your breathing, um, that helps keep you centered. That helps keep you in the present. Um, and it brings down your stress level, gives you clarity. So I think that is the the main one. Exercise is a very good one. Um, getting up your heart rate, again, you get more oxygen to your brain. You, you're able to think, and it helps relaxes you. Um, self-care is, is um, pretty good a lot time and boundaries um what i'm seeing a lot of especially when it comes to like depression is that people have very poor boundaries um and people they're experiencing emotional pain because that a lot of times what i'm seeing is when people are struggling with depression um their boundaries is it results to boundary issues they may not know um that they can set boundaries where to set them um, they know they're hurting people doing things that they're experienced and hurt from, but they're unclear of how to communicate with their boundaries to the other person. So oh, yeah. <laughs> that helps a lot um, when people start to clarify where their boundaries are. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Do you, do yes. you experience boundaries. that? Boundaries. <laughs> I was I was so unboundaried and I'm so like just lost Nicole I had no idea um what a proper boundary was like my like the difference between me was like either completely permeable where like just completely unboundaried or just like stonewall like don't you know cutting people off like don't mm-hmm. call don't write like I can't have you in my life anymore because I didn't right. know how to, I didn't know any in between. Like I didn't have those skills. Um, right. What would you they say? To, what would you say to that person? Um, hmm. Well, yeah, it's, it's interpersonal skills, and you, and people that you're not alone in that. Um, we can list what the, the interpersonal skills are. We we know them, but applying them is a different thing. You know. Um, a lot of times we don't see them applied correctly. Like you were saying, some people don't have the the tools. You know, they're not available in their community. No, this is the way grandma did it. This is the way mama did it. And, and I do it the same way. So um, a lot of times you have to be aware or realize that there's another way of doing things. Um, and, that, and that's what it comes to. When you realize you may have a deficit in um social skills or interpersonal skills it's just about a lot no learning them and applying them um and and practicing them and the more you practice them um the better you get at using them and and knowing when to use them how has um not just teaching this but also living it uh, enriched your life um but it's helped me grow a lot and um I've learned a lot about myself. You know, I'm learning where my boundaries are. You know, I'm learning what my interests are and and, and how to deepen the connection and the relationships in my life. What do you, I know you have a, a, at least one child. Um, how, do you, how has that um, informed your parenting? Like, how has this um, career informed your parenting? Oh, wow. Um, it, I'm learning to be patient, to see things from her perspective. Um, it, it has 
it helps me, it's helping me communicate with her and focus on just the connection where normally I might um, be more about, I'm, I'm kind of anxious by nature. So I'm like, we got to do this, we got to do that. Um, it helps me slow down and just kind of see things from, you know, her perspective. And, and it's actually kind of helped me change what I think is important. Um, you know, I'm more considerate about, I'm more interested in who she is as a person and her having a really good sense of herself. Mm. I love that. That's beautiful, Nicole. Thank you. If you could recommend a book to someone who is interested in what we've been chatting about, um, is maybe there's more than one resource, but at least one, what would you share? Um, I think for me, You Can Hold Your Life by um, Louise Hay was a, a game changer for me, just helping me gain a different perspective and also giving me the tools to deal with some of the issues that I was dealing with. You know, I mentioned that I I'm, I kind of have an anxious personality. So um, that book helped me tremendously. Um, another book is, there's well, any books on boundaries, but there's one that's called Boundaries, um, where I, I always get this wrong, but I think it's where I end and you begin. Um, that's a really good one. I'll have to check that one out. <laughs> <laughs> I've gotten so much better. I'm like, you know, this is now, this is, um, 10 years of work. So I've gotten so much better, but like at every stage of your life, your boundaries change, right? Like your boundaries change when, uh, when you start your own business, your boundaries change when, um, your parents get older, your boundaries change when you have a kid, your boundaries change if you get married, like there's right. all these, um, levels <laughs> to the work. That's true. If you're in an office place, if you're working with people, um, I guess it changes based upon your perspective and what's important to you, you know, your values. Right. Will you speak a little bit to your... Yeah, that's true. I mean, because it will challenge It, it will. Yeah, it definitely will challenge you. <laughs> Uh, will you speak a little bit to your gratitude practice, like how you stay in gratitude even when um, maybe things are outside of your preference or challenging for you? Right. So um, a lot of times it's just a matter of finding something to be grateful for that day, like, you know, having the support of my family, um, you know, have it. But if things are really challenging, it can get down to a really basic to where, you know, I have, I'm grateful to the fact that I have a comfortable bed to sleep in, um, that I have a roof on my head, that, you know, there's peace in the house, that I'm able, that I have a reliable car to get me back and forth. Um, and those things really center me and bring me back to a place of um, where I feel grounded, you know, um, help me put everything in perspective. And even so, um, thinking that, you know, we're, where I'm sitting in a chair that's on this bottle of stone that's floating down the middle of nowhere. <laughs> that can really helps me kind of be grateful and, and, and um, keep things in perspective. I love what um, you said about the, the getting into the basics, like the things that maybe we take for granted, like a comfortable bed to sleep in or um, reliability in a vehicle. My God, if you've ever had a non-reliable vehicle, like, you know... <laughs> You know the gratitude. Every day, can't get to work. That's stressful. <laughs> oh, man. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, and I mean, I've, when I first started my gratitude practice too, like I, that was all I had. I was like, okay, the tiny things, I was like two ply toilet paper. And like, to the point where it was, um, like, it was like comical. Like I started realizing, I was like, maybe I'm being stingy with my gratitude. Like there are other things. Um, I was really depressed. So like, I wasn't, it wasn't my consciousness at that point. I was like, okay, I really like this kind of toilet paper. I like, um, you know, certain things. But it took that practice of seeing um, my own kind of absurdity, like to overlook Maybe. all of the other stuff that I could be grateful for. Right. Yeah, and depression, I do that. You know, that filter, you know, it's there, but it changes how we, you know, see everything else. Yeah. So I understand that. Do you do gratitude um, recommendations for your clients? Do you have any practices that um, you help them work through? Sometimes I would just suggest that they keep a, a, a gratitude journal. Um, right now, I think with the particular set of clients, I, um, I haven't gotten any to really stick. But there's also times um, I would suggest that they go walking. And just pay attention, you know, like to the trees and different leaves and, you know, just be mindful to stay in the moment and be grateful for, you know, what they're seeing in that moment. Um, still working with them on that. They're getting it to stick. Um, but I, I, I will suggest it. I do suggest it. I mean, that's that's really the the trick, right, mm-hmm. is staying like staying mindful. Um and especially too, because I noticed to me, like it was so easy for me to come up with all the things that in my estimation were going wrong or like all the criticisms. Um, but like, even though it was more challenging to find the gratitude, it was, it was peaceful because all like when you're looking for things to be grateful for, and especially when you're having a hard time finding them, you have to focus. It like centers your mind to be like, okay, like what can, what can I find? And when you're in that, um, that mode, like you, when you find things to be grateful for, but also like it distracts you from all the things that you're not as grateful for, which in itself I, I found to be a a great relief. Yeah. I, I think one of the ways I explain it is that if you're looking at a rose, you know, the, there's this petal that a lot of people get pleasure from, right? It smells good. It's attractive. It looks nice. There's also this thorn that we don't like, you know, it's sticky, the leaves. Um, both exist, right? The positive and the negatives exist. So, you know, our mind tends to replicate what we focus on. So we focus on more of the petals, we get more petals. We focus on more of the stems, we get more stems. So getting them, I mean that they're both there. Just know um just seeing being what you're saying, just focus and mindful of what the positives are. Um that that does really help. If you could give um just a word of learned wisdom from your experience to maybe somebody who's uh, on a similar path to you, but hasn't quite sorted it yet. Uh, what would you say to that person? Oh, um, do your own work. For me, going into therapy, I've been, I've been in therapy before. I'm planning to go in, back into it. 
that helps. Um, you can only take a person as far as you're going. So working through your um, your own baggage, you know, unpacking things and figuring out what you unpack back up helps a lot. That allows me to be, you know, authentic in my sessions. Um, generally what a person, what they see is what they get. And I think that's what really helps them to trust me and to connect and be able to open up and do the work they need to I do. I completely agree. I think it's so important to have that support, oh, like a, especially <laughs> if you're if you're offering support and you're unsupported, um, that stability can only last for so long. Um, and, you know, whether that's like, even right. for people who like aren't in this path um, professionally, but like if you are a caretaker in your family, um, either for a, a parent or a relative or a child, like you need support. That's definitely true. Um, and then I think one of the questions um, is like my favorite self-care practice. And that's it. Staying connected with my friends, reaching out when I need help, um, talking, you know, having someone to turn to to talk through my problems. Staying connected with my friends, you know, making sure that I have my um time also I, i'm kind of i'm introverted so i like the color and read making sure i do things that fill me back up um just the basis taking care of myself making sure i sleep drink water eat um all those things help me stay you know pretty grounded will you just talk a little bit about the benefits of staying mm-hmm. hydrated i know that this is a struggle for a lot of people to drink enough water um mm-hmm. But it like it's so simple and it helps so much. Um, like, how has that helped in your life? Um, well, I, I talk a lot. So what I what kind of brought it home for me um, is the fact that if I'm not hydrated, I will lose my voice. My voice becomes really strained. Um, so that was the big motivator for me to make sure I get enough water. Um, but my body just functions better, you know, it, it operates better. So, um, the clarity, you know, when I'm stressed or upset about something or I need, I'm having trouble thinking, you know, I can drink water and kind of give myself a pause to be able to think through some things. So those are some of the benefits that I've experienced personally. Drink more water, everybody. You heard it from Nicole. <laughs> yep, and I'm thinking my water's in the car. <laughs> Final question for you. Um, what does joy feel like in your body? Oh, gosh. Um, joy in my body, when I'm noticing it, it's, I'm like I'm singing or humming without even realizing it. I just feel not giddy but I I have a lot of energy you know just like bursting with energy Um, almost as though I'm skipping you know I just feel kind of light and just very you know happy 